Blog Talk Radio. Switches. I am your host, Raina Starr. Hopefully you're enjoying a long weekend. I know I'm, I am. <laughs> Desperate House Switches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might offend you, this may not be the show for you, but I think it will be. Desperate House Switches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. That's www.wickedwitchstudios.com. So if you guys were listening last week, last Sunday, you know that I was talking to the amazing Deborah Lip about her brand new book, The Beginner's Guide to the Occult, and all of a sudden some storm interruptions happened and we, our audio went to crap like very quickly. So we decided to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, Anyway, the beginner's guide to the occult, uh, understanding the history, key concepts, and practices of the supernatural. Deborah Lip is my guest. Hey, Deborah, good morning. Good morning. All tried out? How are you? Yeah. I'm great. (laughs) We were wondering for a while it was getting soggy and the audio was really in trouble and I couldn't figure out what was going on and you're like it's Ida I'm like oh right (laughs) right yeah well at first I thought you know because I hung up and called back twice but I said oh it's not me it's you you're the one who lives Uh in the path of the hurricane and then it turns out that I'm the one who lives in the path of the hurricane and all the roads here were closed and you know 40 yeah. people lost their lives and drowned in their cars and horrible things like that. So welcome to wow. climate change, everybody. Yeah, the thing you thought you were denying is happening in your face now. I mean, and, you know, just to veer off for a second, do you think this will wake people up? I don't, but I'm just asking. Should, am I being a pessimist? Well, I think that, um, you know, real talk is I think most people – are awake. I think the people with money who will be least, effect, you know, least affected by it, yeah. the corporate donors to political yeah. campaigns, are the ones who won't wake up because they don't care. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, they're covered. It's it's you know, the more money you have, the more protected you are, the more you'll have some place to escape to. This is true. This is true. That's unfortunate, but but true. Well, that was so, bitter. Okay. <laughs> let's change that the was bitter. Well, we're going we're going from bitter to sublime. So let's talk about the book. Um, so obviously, this is a beginner's guide to the occult in in a pretty literal sense, uh, because you basically give, and it's not overwhelming. So don't freak out, folks. It's it's really well done, and it's a synopsis of 
the titles, and I'll go through the, the chapters very quickly, folk magic, witchcraft, astrology, numerology, alchemy, Kabbalah, ceremonial magic, and tarot. There's also an occult timeline, which we're going to talk about a lot, and there's further reading and exploration, references, index, all of that. But there's also, you know, try it for yourself stuff in the book, and it's, it's not overwhelming at all. It's a really wonderful guide to what this is, what this is, what this is, which we don't get. You know, we were talking about this last week when you're a young witch. The books that were available in our time, or my time anyway, were, you know, it was assumed that you had a whole lot of knowledge that you didn't have yet. So there were several books that were really more professorial that went over my head um, and stuff I never went back to learn more about because it was just over my head when it was being presented to me and I had moved on in my practice. And my there's lots of holes in my knowledge base, as I had been saying last week. So this is a great way to fill some of those gaps and explore more of the things that, you know, you find an interest in. So what made you write this now, Deborah? Well, this was on spec. So one of the things that's interesting to me about the book is, is that, like, some of these topics, there are no introductory texts. They just don't exist, right? Like, even, right. even an introductory book to the Kabbalah can be a pretty heavy lift. So mm-hmm. a chapter, that's kind of nice. But there's, there's two ways of writing books. One is you decide to write a book, and then you, present, you knock on a publisher's door, and you hope that they open the door. The other is the way this book was written, whereas the publisher actually contacted me and said, we want to write yeah. a beginner's guide to the occult. Can you do that? And, you know, it had never honestly occurred to me. But in the course of figuring out what was going to be in this book, I got so excited. And the, the <laughs> trick, you know, for a writer to take on a, a contract like that is, yeah. is to become as passionate about it as if it had been your idea all along. And, and that's where I landed. There isn't – I honestly think the book could have been literally twice as long and still be a beginner's guide. This Absolutely. Is, this is really just getting your feet wet. But I think that mm-hmm. um, what's so exciting to me is that each of these is a significant part of what your education could and should be if you're a beginning occultist, if you're a beginning witch, if you're even a more experienced witch and you have those gaps, um, if you're pagan if you're a magician whatever your path is like these topics all interconnect and so even if you know nothing about them your practice is actually influenced by them and and that's where it's really exciting like you may not know anything about astrology except like your horoscope in the daily paper but Mm-hmm. The great occultists of antiquity and of the Renaissance were all astrologers. So whatever they did that, that then got handed down to us was influenced by astrology, for example. And kind of each chapter that's true about. Uh-huh. So, 
so I, I so see it that. connects. Yeah, and and and, yeah. and so who we are as practitioners, even if we don't know anything about these subjects, is touched by these subjects. So I feel like that book has a real place on your bookshelf to just open your eyes and go, oh, hey, I was doing that all along. Right. It's a great source of confirmation, but it's also a great source of why we do the stuff we do and an introduction into the things that, a lot of us were not even introduced to at all. Um, you know, I mean, these days, and certainly not in my day, in my day you were supposed to have a very broad base of knowledge. Um, now it's a little bit more relaxed, and people at more at their leisure, more at the time that it's convenient for them to study it. But this is great because it's a, this is like a beginner's guide to all of the topics that we really should have a knowledge base on. So it, it kind of helps the practitioner go back and maybe reassess or restudy or take a different course of action. You had mentioned astrology. I have a lot of friends who, who are very passionate about astrology. I was not necessarily one of those people, but this is a, a good point for me to go back and maybe do more investigation as I see certain things coming up um, from more of a, a, an astrological perspective. So I think that's really fantastic. So I wanted to ask you in reference to the book, is it when you decided to start writing on all these different subjects, were these subjects you already had a broad base in? I mean, I, you mentioned that astrology, not necessarily, but were, were, your, were your writings about this based on people you had spoken to or just research you had done about the, the topics that you put in the book? Well, it depends on, on which topics. Like I'd already written a book on the tarot. Like I had that down, right? right? Um, uh -huh. and I, I, I was pretty good. I don't, I don't think that anybody could have written that chapter on ceremonial magic unless they already had a pretty good knowledge because just condensing that huge history into mm -hmm. uh, a summary, you yeah. kind of had to know where to start. But then some of True. the subjects were new to me. Like the thing, right. like, like I had, I had, read one book about alchemy once. Um, uh -huh. And I, it was, that was the heaviest lift in the book. And, and it was, it was the hardest one to research. It was the hardest one to understand. And then mm -hmm. when I understood it, it was suddenly the most exciting yeah. and the most thrilling. And it just completely changed my understanding of, of the occult that I practiced. So wow. it's just incredibly how, enriching. How often does that happen when you're 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 studying a subject for a book and all of a sudden it like hits you over the head like oh, this is amazing. I mean, does that happen often or is that something that's fairly rare? I'm not an author. I don't write, so this is why I have these questions. Well, like both. So sometimes okay. you sit down and you just write everything you know. Like my first book, which uh -huh. is 
still, like, I cannot tell you. The book I'm working on right now is my 11th book. I cannot tell you how many people come up to me and say, oh, I read your book. Like, dude, <laughs> which one? But, right. but it's always the same one. The book that, you know, I will, I am famous for is Elements of Ritual. And I'm very proud of that book. And actually, I had to uh-huh. reread a section of it. Um, I was to cross-reference. Uh, in something I'm writing yeah. now. And, uh-huh. like, I wrote that book in, in, in 20 years ago, so I haven't, like, cracked it open lately, and I was reading through that section. I said, oh, this is a book. <laughs> um, but that was the, – the story behind Elements of Ritual is my cousin blew up, um, and everybody wow. quit, and it was a whole – it was, you know, what you – these things happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So – in it was basically the first year introductory class that I do on Wicca in with no people around to teach it to because everybody had quit. Um, right. So so I was it was it was like getting it out of my system, and it was about sure. a year's worth of lectures and classes. So there was basically no research whatsoever in that book. Um, that uh-huh. was just everything that I had known for the, the preceding 20 years just piled into, into a book. Um, right. But then other times, you know, you will spend half of the time researching one paragraph some, sometimes. Like you, you're writing on a subject that you know, and then, uh-huh. but you want to make this clever little aside, but you don't really uh-huh. know about that subject. So the next thing you know, you're uh-huh. down a rabbit hole and you're spending literally half of all the research time on that one paragraph. <laughs> and, that, and everybody wow. I know who writes has that story. And, wow. and then every once in a while, yeah, I, I mean... At my age, I'm 60 years old. I've been in the craft for almost 40 years. At my age, yep. you would think there weren't a lot of surprises left. But speaking <laughs> of astrology, during my second Saturn return, like a lot of new stuff sort of opened up for me. I've become yeah. passionate about the Kabbalah. I never thought that would happen. Uh-huh. And that's really just the past two years that I've I've probably right in the past two years read like ten books on the Kabbalah. Oh boy, you you dive in deep, you know. And, and how how difficult is that as a writer to like read other folks? Is it is it a different experience? When you're coming at it as an author, or do you just put that do you put that thought down when you're reading someone else? Uh, every every author is is a reader first. You know, the yeah. only thing is that when I'm writing about something, unless I'm researching it on purpose, um, yeah. I have to uh, I have to carefully not read what I'm writing about because otherwise I start interacting with what I've just read instead of writing from inside of me, if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. Wow. Okay. 
I'm, I'm never going to be a writer. It happened to me. There was something I read that I really disagreed with, and, uh-huh. and then I sat down to write one night, and I, I had was three paragraphs into arguing against the thing I just read, and I was like, this is not good. This is not what anybody no, wants to read. So I just, I, I have to carefully avoid that kind of thing. But yeah. so if I'm reading about my subject matter, it's for research. It's not for, for pleasure or education, you know, general education, because otherwise I will, I will over-involved. I understand that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I, I do get that. There's certain arenas that I avoid because of things of that nature. So that makes a lot of sense. So in addition, as we were talking about earlier, in addition to the fact that you did this beautiful overview of each of the topics, you did this timeline, and I know you love this timeline. So tell everybody about the timeline. Well, I had this idea of all of the stuff in the occult and and trying to figure out how it all fit together and to me that was always a struggle because people sort of throw all these terms at you when you're beginning and you don't necessarily see how it fits together and exactly i i thought if i could just create a timeline of occult history so there's the here's what happened in antiquity you know here's here's um plato and and the the Gnostics and the Neoplatonism and the Hermetica, that's antiquity. And then here's the Middle Ages. And by the way, these are the years of the Middle Ages, in case you're not sure. And then here's the Renaissance, and here are the years, in case you're not sure. And here are the significant magical people and books mm-hmm. and schools yep. of thought uh, in each of them. And then here's the, uh, after the Renaissance, uh, then you've got your, the Enlightenment and the, the occult revival of the, uh, of the 19th century, the, the Victorian Edwardian occult revival, and then you've got modernity. And you can kind of see when you place it in a timeline how one feeds into the other, feeds into the other, what happened when. And to me, that was always such a struggle. But once I put mm-hmm. it into the book, I could just keep referring the reader by like, hey, all this stuff that I'm mentioning, look at it on the timeline, and and you yeah. can see it. And in order to squeeze that timeline into the book, like they had to, like I started, I mapped, I, I created it as a flowchart in Visio. And then I, sh- mm-hmm. and I set a meeting with my editor and I showed it to her and I'm like, look at this, look at this. <laughs> like I got really <laughs> excited. And I talked her into how amazing it was and how it doesn't exist anywhere. There's no book where you can find this information. I had to get it from like 10, 20 different places. And then she had to, there was no budget for illustration on this book. So she had to take it like up the chain of command to get permission to put it in. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I really, I, I probably drove her crazy, but we got it in the book. And can I just say about this timeline, you know, when you and I first talked about this book before I actually saw the timeline, because I know you were really, you were really jazzed about it, it I, I was not sure what it was we were discussing until I actually saw it. And as somebody who went through a similar path as you, um, I 
noticed that a lot of my friends would conflate certain things and not have the correct separation of timeline in their own heads about where Wicca started, came from, whatever. And it seemed that they everything got conflated into, well, you know, it's ancient. Eh, not exactly. So this timeline is, I think, really, and I got excited about it after I saw it. Um, because there is nothing like it. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool because it tells me where shit came from along the lines of when. And it's not all one big thing. There is a definite, this is where certain things started. This is what it feeds into. This is when the next certain things started. This is when the, I mean, and I never had anything like this, obviously, because you, you hadn't written it yet. Um, but watching the flow of timeline really gives you a better idea of when, whoever you are, where your stuff came from and when. So, because sometimes I hear, <clears throat> you know, pagans talk about, oh, you know, their their practices ancient. Some of it may have an ancient root somewhere. But most of what's practiced right now is a lot more modern than people realize. Don't you find that to be true? Oh, yeah. Uh, we were talking last night about how all it takes is for something to happen twice for it to be a tradition. Uh, like People <laughs> are so attached to the idea of, of something being old that they just have no idea where anything comes from. Did you know, for example that diamonds didn't used to be a traditional wedding ring. They started getting placed in movies. The De Beer company wanted to improve the sale of diamonds, so they uh -huh. made a deal with Hollywood that diamonds would be featured in movies as engagement rings. And Bastard. so it's a <laughs> but it's a modern phenomenon. So the diamond is the right. traditional wedding ring really only goes back to like the 1930s, 1940s. Wow. And yet That's amazing. people think it is a ancient tradition. Right. That's called right. marketing. <laughs> that, so, it's yeah, impressive no marketing idea. too. Yeah. People have no idea where anything comes from. People have no idea where anything comes from. And I have this theory in the occult that like all yeah. of occult history is this funnel that feeds into this narrow point of the golden dawn mm -hmm. and then breaks apart again. That was the second illustration. That didn't make it into the book. But if you think about oh. it, if you look at the timeline, everything that mm -hmm. came before on that timeline was used by the Golden Dawn. Um, and the Golden Dawn lasted, I think, a total of 14 years. They started in 1888, and then mm -hmm. by 1902 it was all over. Um, mm -hmm. And then everything comes out of the Golden Dawn. So, so they were, but they were influenced, all of the people who founded the Golden Dawn, they were Rosicrucians, they were Theosophists, they were Masons, they studied um, mm -hmm. Agrippa. They studied um, Kabbalah and alchemy, and they even studied Enochian magic. So all mm -hmm. of that influenced their rituals. And then these were like the heavy hitters of occultism. These were the most influential and most 
intellectual people in the occult, and then when they split apart, they all formed new groups. And then people left those yep. groups and formed new groups. And, and so if you look at the inheritors of the Golden Dawn tradition, that is what comes out of that, the Society of Inner Life, the OTO and Thelema, mm-hmm. chaos magic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wicca, yep. modern tarot, yep. modern um, hermetic Kabbalism, all of that mm-hmm. comes out of that occult revival and from people who were in the Golden Dawn. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing piece of history. People don't realize it. That. Is. So they think, I'm practicing with that. That has nothing to do with ceremonial magic. Turns out that's bullshit. Because <laughs> right. what you inherited, whether, you know, that's like saying that green has nothing to do with yellow and blue. In, right. in there. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have gotten to green without yellow and blue coming before it. I mean, it's just, it just makes sense. I mean, and quite frankly, I find that a lot of people don't give credence to, for example, Gardnerianism because it's a quote-unquote new religion. And I'm wondering why authenticity is only lent to things that are quote-unquote thousands of years old. And the thing that's so interesting to me, excuse me, about it is the fact that Christianity, which is not a hell of a lot older, it's a couple of thousand years old, okay, fine, you know, plus, for some reason that's been given so much credence and there's no one to go and talk to who was, part of probably the original, you know what I'm saying, a part of the original story. There's no, there's no longer a human around to talk about how things got passed down who has a connection directly to someone who was necessarily on site to witness it, if that makes any sense. You know, when, when you talk about modernity and you're talking about, for example, Gardner, okay, so there are people who are still alive who had a great-grandparent or someone who could still potentially be alive who passed down the original stories. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, it, it seems like there's only authenticity given to things that we can't even prove anymore. And I find that interesting. Well, I think that there's a, a great pleasure in tradition, I think there is a great sense of of stability, and you almost feel nurtured by a tradition. Like you mm-hmm. know that if it's been there for a long time, it's not going to go away anytime soon. It's like having a nice foundation on your house, right? And I get that, but mm-hmm. but part of how that happens is that there is an intention for it to be a tradition. And this is, mm. this is sort of tricky. So, so it's, like, it's like what we were just talking about with diamond rings. So you can give yeah. somebody a ring because you love them and you want to give them a ring. Or you can give them a ring with the intention that this is a traditional thing. Right? And, and it, it's really all about intention. So, like, so if you look at, um, I kind of mentioned this, there's like 
two sentences in the book that kind of allude to this, but it's a more complicated history. So what happens in, in the history of Wicca is it comes to the United States in the mid-1960s, and by the 1970s, um, demand is outstripping supply by about 1,000 to 1. Yep. So people start making up traditions. But nobody was really comfortable with the idea of I made it all up and it's true, right? Like uh-huh. the, the very first um, pagan religion that where they just said, no, we made this up, was the Church of All Worlds. Before that, you, you couldn't get away with it. Like people weren't mm-hmm. going to take your tradition seriously unless you had some grandmother story, unless you claimed it was ancient and, and that you got it somewhere and that some, you, you know, Nana initiated mm-hmm. you under the kitchen table. So people right. made up these ridiculous stories. But these made-up traditions from the 70s, and I could name, you know, 20 of them, um, mm-hmm. they were created with the intention that it be a tradition. I made up the initiation. We, you and I made up the initiation, and we initiated a bunch of people, and now that's the way it is, and it's the tradition, mm-hmm. and we're going to pass it down. And those made-up traditions, many of them are still around, and they have value and they have magic and they have power because the intention of creating a structure worked. Yeah. Whereas you could have done the same exact things and just said, okay, that's just what we're doing this week and next week we'll do something different. And the power mm-hmm. would have been mm-hmm. completely different. True. True. Because nothing feels stable if it's not rooted somewhere. Right. I mean, and there's a joy in spontaneity also. I'm not saying that the only good things are traditional things, but there needs to be a balance. In my mind, if nothing is ever traditional, you're unsupported. And especially when when you're unwell. Like if you're doing great, like if you are at the Mm -hmm. top of your game and everything's awesome, go make up a spontaneous ritual and it'll be amazing. But if you're struggling, yeah. if you're grieving, if you are ill, if the people you love are ill, if 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 you are not at the top of your game, you will benefit from a ritual that is already there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, and there is a lot to be said about things that are you know, and you're right, the energy is different. It's one thing to be spontaneous, and that's fine, but it has to be rooted some, I mean, it's called a practice because you do it over and over again. That's what a practice is. Um, right. You know, and, and there is value in that. And there's value in spontaneity, and there's there's value in doing things that maybe haven't been done before and incorporating that um, if it's good for your group and good for you and, you know, if it's helpful, we certainly don't want to add things that aren't helpful, although sometimes it seems like they get added anyway. Um, (laughs) But it's good to be able to have a reference point that says, okay, so this is how we learned to do it. 
these are the elements that, you know, stay very strong, and maybe we can incorporate some of the new ways of living. And I mean, because as time goes on, life changes, you know, people change, what people tolerate changes, what people are free to say out loud finally changes. These are all good things. And, you know, the need for magic to be inclusive I think is very important as I'm finding everybody thinks, <laughs> you know. So it's, well, it's cool that you give us these timelines and we can see how things have progressed. And maybe one day there'll be a point where we add another column to the timeline that's, you know, that stops at a certain point and begins again with stuff that's new as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it was, I was just discussing this uh, yesterday. I think it was Alan Watts who said that a religion that goes against science is already done. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so for, um, for Wicca, we don't go around saying the world was created in seven days and um, (laughs) dinosaurs couldn't have existed because, uh, the world isn't old enough to, for those fossils and blah, 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 blah. All of the stuff that, that some of your crazier fundamentalist Christians believe. Yeah. At the same time, that means that the current science, for example, and this is what has become controversial in some corners of Wicca, the mm-hmm. current science as to what gender is, Mm-hmm. has to be included in our understanding of our religion. A religion that is in denial yep. of science will die, is already dying. So right. if we know more about what gender is than we did in 1930, then, yep. then we know more, and knowing more is better. <laughs> Absolutely. I get a lot of I get a lot of snipes for admitting that I'm Gardnerian in public, and you know that never used to happen. And the idea of what a Gardnerian was 40 years ago, as opposed to what a Gardnerian is now, should have been able to evolve in people's minds. But it seems I mean, I once had someone say straight up to me. You're the GOP of the occult. And I'm like, what? Whoa. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was said to me. Um, It's been a number of years, but that was, in fact, said to me. And the person was trying to get me to understand, you know, what the thought process was behind people who were very dismissive, dismissive of me because I'm Gardnerian. And... You know, only now do I see that people are realizing that Gardnerians can change and grow like the rest of the world. You know what I mean? I have always felt like I've been put down because of that. And I was wondering if you've experienced any of it and if you think that the reputation, quote, unquote, is being rehabilitated or maybe you have a different experience of what I've had kind of thrown at me. So tell me if you've had any of that. 
I think I think that most gardenerians who say they are gardenerian in a public pagan space will get some of that shit. I I, I think that um, the truth is that gardenerians are small c conservative, which is to say we wish to conserve. We wish to conserve uh-huh. the tradition. We don't wish to throw it away. And there will be uh, there will be people who hate that. And that's okay. That's personality type. There are people who don't want tradition as part of their life. Okay, you do you. Mm-hmm. I want tradition as yeah. part of my life. So that part I'm mm-hmm. not going to have a fight with anybody about. Um, right. The things that are that, um, that gardenerians get historically dinged on, some of them yeah. are accurate, but other people could be dinged too. Like Mm-hmm. Were there and are there homophobic gardenerians? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Were there and are there homophobic human beings? That part's true too. Yes. So, like, yeah. do you really think that your cool, fun, eclectic Wicca group in 1980 had no homophones in it? Homophobes, not homophones. I know. You know, because know bullshit. <laughs> of course they did. Of course, of course they did. But, and but and we grew, did we not? I mean, were we not able? Because we live in the world, right? Because we live right. in the world. You know what? <laughs> Forty years ago, I wasn't completely comfortable around trans people. Wow. Well, forty I years wasn't. ago, it wasn't discussed. It, it wasn't, wasn't discussed. discussed you know, I had met a, co- a couple of trans people. I was probably like inappropriately gawky, like kind of Mm -hmm. fearing and stuff. And I had all Uh kinds of ideas in my head about gender that were not true, that I thought were progressive feminist ideas. That is why young feminists hate, you know, second-wave feminists. Because you have to change and grow. Okay? Yeah. And, And that's called living in the world. If you are a witch you should be in a constant process of changing and growing. That's one of Absolutely. the things that witchcraft should be bringing into your life. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and today, gender is a hot topic on which we are changing and growing. It's what my next book is yeah. about. And, awesome. um, you know, next year it'll be a different hot topic of one which we have to change and grow. We all have to grow the fuck up and learn yeah. and not freeze at age 30 and then just, re- you know, lather, rinse, repeat. You and know, so and it's that, interesting because I actually credit, I, I credit my gardenerianism with my openness in my, in my personal relationships. I mean, I dated a trans person when I was 18 years old in college and they had a trans twin and, you know, I credit my ability to be open about everything that the universe had to offer because of the fact that I was practicing an alternate path from the standard that was acceptable where I lived. Um, So I think it's interesting because I think, you know, you have to recognize, even though there are 9,000 brand new traditions, people in the older traditions, 
don't make assumptions. We're all told not to make assumptions and not to judge a book by its cover. And yet, it, Unless it, you're we're not afforded in which that. Case, go ahead and judge us. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. That's, that's what you're talking but about. that's the joke. Exactly. That's but the what joke. Gets me, but what, what actually gets me now, nowadays, you know, you kids yeah. that are on my lawn, is is yeah. that there are 9,000 <laughs> brand new traditions. In the 90s, there were 9,000 brand new traditions. Now there are people who don't want a tradition at all. They're just making it up as they go along. And I do feel like if you don't put some of it together and, like, organize it a little, um, that there is a piece that you're missing. Um, And I have people come to me all the time who are like, I'm wondering if this Wicca thing has any power because it all feels kind (laughs) of airy-fairy. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, come over to the Gardenarians. We've got the good cookies. I don't actually say that, but I could. I, I think didn't it. think so. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> we have the good cookies. We have we have the well-baked cookies. But here's the thing, and I'm very much about people doing whatever they want to do. Will it stand in 20 years is a separate question because a lot of things don't. A and lot of folks to. want to start. You can, you can fail exactly. at some of what your experiments and throw them away. Of course, and you're supposed to. Nobody comes out of the block completely, perfectly, anything. You know what I mean? You can practice something and pra- listen, there's plenty of things I used to practice that no longer make sense to me, and I'm like, what the fuck were you doing? But that's a personal thing, and no one necessarily stopped me. Maybe I should have been stopped for a while, whatever. But, you know, certain, the things, certain, certain the things that last... Sure. So I was going to say, certain experiments you discover that 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 you accidentally could set your house on fire, and then you change your mind about that. Like it's uh, okay yeah. to learn by doing. Do not, but have a but have a fire extinguisher. <laughs> See, and I didn't. I mean, a lesson I learned really the hard way. Sometimes when you cast a spell. Um, if you go to cast another spell that's related, you may want to undo the first spell that you cast because otherwise you could have a line at your fucking door. And unfortunately, that actually happened to me because wise ass here thought she'd cast a spell here on this one and cast a spell on that one. They all showed up one day and I'm like, oh, fuck, I didn't undo that one or that one. Maybe that was a fucking mistake. Yeah, when it comes to love magic... Don't do what I did. Just go back, undo it if you're going to move on to someone else. Just be careful because otherwise everybody could show up one day and say, well, I'm finally here, and you're like, I don't want the fuck out of any of you anymore. I've changed my mind. I mean, you make a mess. Undo the mess before you continue. I mean, that's a great. you know, story. there's things. There's, I'm just saying, uh, yeah, people forget. You know, magic is out there. It's like if it's out there, it's out there forever. Think of spells you cast as broadcasting anything on the Internet because everything you do is out there. Everything you do is out there. The universe has all the tapes. The evidence is all there. Just saying, be careful. Well, on that note... (laughs) 
but I so appreciate this book. I, I, I really highly, 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 highly recommend to anyone who is curious about the occult, anybody who is a practicing uh, pagan of any type, um, any kind of witch, anybody. If you know someone who is into anything related to the occult, this book is awesome. You know, it's it's got a great series of knowledge, a great uh, base of knowledge um, for holes in my in the things I know, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So, the book is the Beginner's Guide to the Occult. Deborah Lip, thanks for coming and hanging out with me on a Sunday morning. You sure are swell. Thank you. That's so great. Thank you so much. I I love talking with you. This has been a lot of fun. Have a great rest of your Sunday and enjoy the holiday. You too. Thank you. You too. I will talk to you again very soon about your next book because we're going to have to book you for that too. Bye-bye. Have a great Sunday. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. I will see you on Friday. And Saturday of next week, you'll have to check the schedule because Mama's brain says get me coffee. Love you guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye.